Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Welcome, my minions. My name's Tom Marquisel Presidente. I am your host, your guide. I am the guy that you go to for the next two hours to know about anything that's going on in the world of sports. Welcome to The Balance. Welcome aboard. We do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., And uh, welcome, of course, our affiliate radio stations all across this great land of the United States. And welcome uh, wherever you're listening uh, to us at, uh, whether it be on the Internet or whether it be on our podcast. And thank you uh, for subscribing and downloading our podcast. Uh, Thousands and millions of of you do that every single week. I tell you what, that's kind of cool. And you know what's good about our podcast if you're listening to us on our podcast, you're not really missing anything. You didn't have to get up early, well, early for a Saturday, we'll say, uh, to uh, listen to the show, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. We are live, and thank you uh, to Blog Talk Radio. Well, I tell you what, we got a lot to talk about today, as always, because why? Because we condense as much as we can possibly talk about with sports in uh, two short hours. 917-889-8516 is my digits. Give me a ringy-ding-ding, and we'll talk about what's going on in your world and whatever you'd like to talk about as far as sports. We're racing. We've got a lot coming up with racing, I, I think, and hopefully we, we're, we're going to have Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, on board uh, with us this morning. Uh, here in a few minutes, uh, we hope to have him on anyway. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Rolex 24, whether or not he's on or not. And I tell you what, I love this race every single year. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me getting my juices uh, revved up, no pun intended, for racing. Racing, but I tell you what, it is exciting when the Rolex 24 shows up at Daytona, and that's what's happening this weekend. Um, I believe the green flag's around 2:30. It's a 24-hour race, so it is a much of an endurance race. And the great thing about it is, you see drivers from Formula One, NASCAR, IndyCar, all the different uh, uh, racing series come together to uh, race in this Rolex 24 race. So you have many drivers, you have many crew members, but it's a 24-hour race. Now, the challenge with this race is not so much with the drivers, but with the fans like myself uh, to uh, to uh, join uh, as well. And I think we're joined now by Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, how are you, sir? 
all this racing for a crummy watch. Oh, it's more than that, Tom. Uh, good stuff coming up over the next couple of days. 50-car field and uh, some interesting storylines as we draw closer and closer to the start at 2 p.m. this afternoon. Absolutely, and I, as, as I was just talking about, what a what a challenge it is for the fans. This is more of a, a, a challenge for the fans than it is for, for the uh, racers. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll be back with Matthew Embry and uh, our uh, official IndyCar contributor. We're going to be talking about this 24-hour race just right around the corner right here on the Balance Radio Network. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about Yeah. 
All right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquisell, President Day, 917-889-8516. My digits, if you want to call and talk sports with us. But joining us now is the one, the only, Matthew Embry, IndyCar, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, also from, um, let's see if I can get this right this this week, Open Wheel, Open Wheel, uh, Open Wheel Now. There we go. Open wheel now, and also uh, with uh, WSBT up in South Bend. Sir, rainy morning, but better than snow. For now, anyway, yeah. And uh, thankfully, I got my all the documents, so I'll be able to pay off taxes here shortly. So life's good. <laughs> there you go. Get those taxes done and ready to go. Well, Daytona International Speedway, Daytona, Florida. Uh, it is going to be a big race, and it's not the Daytona 500. It is the Rolex 24. It's the 56 running of the Rolex 24, as you mentioned, all for just a little cheapo watch. Right. Not a cheapo watch, uh, but more than that. Uh, but I tell you what, this is a great – this is what, one of the things that I like about this is you see an effort from series uh, racing series all across the world, uh, from Formula One, from NASCAR to IndyCar, uh, all all your different racing series come together uh, for one day, 24 hours of racing. Talk with us a little bit about this year's Rolex 24 at Daytona. Well, as I mentioned before the break, 50 car field, three divisions. Uh, prototype Challenge was retired at the end of last year, so most of the Prototype Challenge teams have jumped to the prototype ranks. Two different routes you can go in prototype. You either go to the Daytona Prototype International route with the manufacturer, with Aero kits, similar, similar to what IndyCar is, or you can go the LMP2 route where everyone's got the same engine and essentially stock uh, bodywork, whether with the Orca, Ligier, Multimatic, etc. No, Delo- no uh, outsit Delaras in the field other than uh, the Cadillac, of course, but Loaded field there, GTLM, a loaded field, a good battle between Chevrolet and Porsche and BMW getting involved. And then uh, a loaded field at GTD, uh, especially uh, culminating in the final drive and the career of one legendary Scott Pruitt. So a lot of different possibilities uh, looking into uh, today's action when we get the green flag going in the next 24 hours. Some big questions, though, I think right now as far as the reliability, obviously the Acura Team Petsky car, questions about how far that car could go. Uh, Mazda with the Team Yost, yes, very successful, but not necessarily so in Daytona. I don't think they've won Daytona since maybe 1991, maybe. And then uh, you look at uh, Nissan, have struggled in qualifying, have lost uh, several engines this week. It'll be interesting to see uh, if that Nissan, a team that won this race two years ago, uh, can go the distance. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what, one of the things, and, and you know, it's a, it's a uh, an obvious statement, if you will, but it, this is a 24-hour race, so a lot can happen o- over a 24-hour uh, uh, period. And you know, the, the the great thing about it is you see all the the manufacturers from all over the world, from Audi uh, to Toyota, uh, what have you. Now, talk with us about some of the names that maybe we might know uh, better than others. Uh, I think Elio Castroneves is going to be in the Rolex 24. Talk with us a little bit about maybe so the IndyCar and NASCAR drivers that we hear in the United States. I know that uh, Formula One also has its representation, but talk with us a little bit about some of the names that we might know and what teams they're racing for for the Rolex 24. 
Well, obviously, you have the pole sitters with uh, Wayne Taylor Racing. Ryan Hunter Ray is on that lineup. You have Bram Ray Hall with Team Penske, along with Dale Casanovas, also on the front row. Second row, you got former IndyCar cart driver Christian Fittipaldi with Axis Express. Uh, very impressive uh, Road to Indy prospect at Pato Award at Indy Lights. He's with the Performance Tech team. Tristan Bodier of Spirit of Daytona now starts fifth. Uh, F1 veteran Lance Stroll is in the number six spot with uh, Jack Team Jackie Chan. Mike Conway, road course specialist, starts seventh. You look further down the list, Spencer Pickett's one of the Mazda starting at position number nine. Then you've got Pagano and Montoya in the second Penske starting at position 10. Uh, Austin Cedric, a veteran of the NASCAR Tampa World Truck Series, starts 12th. Fernando Alonso, of course, starts 13th uh, in the United Auto Sports entry. Uh, further down the list, you see Bruno Senna, XF1 driver, starting in the other United Auto Sports entry. Sebastian Sabedra, Gustavo Jakovic starts 16th. Former NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, truck veteran Brendan God starts 17th. And uh, as you go through the rest of the field, of course, former driver, now older Scott, Scott Sharp, Scott Dixon is in the 4GT again. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of loaded drivers in this field. Of course, uh, you've got Sage Carab, Jack Hawksworth in the Lexuses. Bruce Akira is in one of the Lexuses as well. Catherine Leg at Acura. So, yeah, a lot of uh, former and current drivers in there. Towson Bell, of course, driving the other car, one of the Ferraris. So you've got lots of different drivers. Even Sean Raynall, another former ex-Indy uh, Lights veteran. So, yeah, top to bottom, it's a loaded field as far as former open-wheel drivers, well, not just uh, IndyCar, but Road to Indy, and obviously at Formula One. And I think I have lost Tom, unfortunately. A uh, couple things to keep uh, in no, mind. No, you're, you're there. Through. You're 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 here, Matt. I, I I'm here, Matt. I am so sorry, and thank you for picking that up because you know I do my normal thing every single week. It's just it's just a thing that I do. I just don't know when I'm going to do it in the show. It's just that at some point in the show, over two hours, at some point, I'm going to forget to turn my mic back on, and then I'm just going to continue to talk to myself. Uh, but go right ahead. I did not mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. I am here, sir. So yeah, let's look at the field. Obviously, you've got the Cadillacs all in the top seven. Uh, you've got two Acuras in the top ten. Uh, Orca, if you're looking for a generic car that has a chance to win, you've got a couple good chances in there. I think the best chance, though, is probably in the number eight entry, uh, the 54 car, the Core House 14, that has multiple victories in uh, prototype challenge. Obviously a loaded lineup with Romain Dumas, Malik Duvall, Colin Brown. Uh Jackie Chan, team that almost won Lamar, looks good. I mean, they got two very solid lineups. Lance Stroll, of course, in one car. Alex Brundle, Hope and Tongue in the second car. And then uh, you look at some of the other dark horses. Uh, J.D.C. Miller with the Gainesville Red Dragon. And uh, Steven Simpson, Gustavo Menezes, Bruce Berkerberg, Chris Miller. I think a lot of people are saying Fernando Alonso's got a chance, but I think that Lige just doesn't hold water against the Orca as far as the generic LMP2s right now. So I find a very hard time to believe that Fernando Alonso has a realistic chance to win this race. Uh, and then, of course, the question is with the Nissans. Are they only one car attempted qualification? The other car crashed. So uh, I have huge question marks on what uh, ESF could do. Yes, Loaded lineups with uh, a superstar, Pippo Durrani, in one of the cars, and obviously Ryan Dial, Johannes Van Overbeck. 
But the question is about those two entries, uh, green and black cars, is whether or not they can go the distance. They could go the distance last year, and they have had multiple problems. I think you could say the same thing about Mazda with Team Yost. Yes, Team Yost is a big day, but they've had a lot of success at LeBas, Seabrook, et cetera. But uh, this car is probably too new to be able to go a full 24 hours without some sort of problems along the way. And even though, yes, the Cadillacs have had issues here and there, they've had a good reliability record, and they lasted pretty long. Even though a lot of people say they outpaced the rest of the field, I think they were also more reliable than the rest of the field last year. That's the reason why they had so many cars finish up near the top of the standings. And I think that's the case again in prototype. I think uh, Cadillac is the cars to beat. And uh, I think a lot of people, though, think it could be a spirit of Daytona. That would be a popular victory for Imps' home team uh, to be able to win an event they've never won before. They've been close at times. Finished third this past year with uh, the old uh, Multibatic car. But uh, a lot of people would love to see uh, Troy Fliss's operation uh, take the check flight first so we get to Sunday afternoon. Oh, absolutely, and I tell you what, this is going to be an exciting race. I, I tell you what, I get my juices get uh, flowing. We're talking with Matthew uh, Embry of, uh, at uh, Open Wheel now, <clears throat> our official IndyCar contributor, also of uh, WSBT up in South Bend. Uh, you know, here's the thing. What I love about this race, maybe more than anything, I don't know why I, I like this factor about it, but it's a 24-hour race. There's no other sporting event, whether I don't name your sporting event that lasts. 24 straight hours. Now, the the thing about it, if you're a viewer, if you're going to take on this challenge, now, Matt, I'm going to do it. I'm going to. I'm committing on this show yet again this year that I am going to uh, make it 24 hours. But the reality is, in full disclosure, long about uh, two o'clock in the morning, trying real hard to watch it in my chair, getting up, walking around. Uh, it doesn't happen, and uh, somehow I wake up around 6.30 or 7 in the morning and realize I missed uh, four hours of the race. But I'm going to commit to the challenge to watching this thing for 24 straight hours. Now, you need to know your networks a little bit. Now, if you, re- if you are the diehard, which we hope you're not because you would be watching now instead of listening to the show, you've got the Ferrari Challenge that's going on right now on the IMSA TV. Now, you got to have the app for that. I don't know. I think it's on DirecTV. Uh, Matt, you might be able to, to help me out on the that. The thing but is, though, keep way, in mind, for that, TV, for that IMSA TV app, the only thing they'll have is onboards. Unless you're outside the United States, uh, that IMSA TV live feed for the race feed itself is blocked. So unless you have access oh, to Fox good, FS1 good and FS2, uh, you will not be able to see, except for the hours in which they are showing the, the Supercross race on Fox Sports Go. So that stream is blocked, uh, IMSA TV. But what they do have is a lot of onboard cameras, a lot of good cameras and uh, in-cockpit okay. cameras on that. So I always look into those. And then obviously the IMSA radio feed, which i got to say, uh, has a lot of informative information with John Heinhoff, Jeremy Shaw, Shea Adam, a lot of uh, informative and Good stuff there, Jim Roller as well. So, actually, sometimes it may be better to listen to the uh, IMSA radio feed than to watch the TV feed. I I could not agree more, and and you're right. And you know what? I didn't even re- realize. It. I thanks for pointing that out, Matt. Because I, I what I love and the reason why I like the IMSA TV app is the onboard cameras. So I never really pay attention to anything other than that. So yeah, you're right. It, it is the onboard cameras, but I love it. That is fantastic. 
I, I, it's, and especially at night. I, I'd rather watch the IMSA TV app onboard cameras at night. It is so cool. But, uh, okay, so, yes, only the onboard cameras. You're, you're right about that. Uh, but then Fox and then uh, FS2 picks it up from 5 to 10 p.m. Uh, 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. Is, is Fox Go, and then 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. is uh, Fox Sports 1. So just kind of watch your networks. They'll let you know where to switch to. Uh, but, hey, I'll tell you what. It is so much fun. I'm like a little kid in the candy store uh, getting to stay up for 24 hours watching this race. Now, it is a race, and it does count. And it is, but, the, but the thing about it is this is really, if you want to say this, this is like the, the Daytona 500, the Indy 500, the uh, Monaco race all wrapped up into one because you have drivers from all over the world. You have every different type of manufacturer that you can think of in this. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, Weather, Weather, Shield, Weather Shield has been the uh, uh, sponsor for many, many years. But this is a great opportunity for you to watch all your racing series all wrapped up into one. What are some of the key component, components that we need to be looking for as a race fan if you're watching the Rolex 24 in Daytona today? Three keys. One is reliability. You have to be there at the end to have a chance to win your division. Number two, show some smarts. You don't gain time by trying to be super aggressive and banging off of other people and damaging your car. And number three, obviously, fitness. I think you're going to see the drivers that are the ones that could go the distance and, you know, do the double, triple, even quadruple stints are going to be the teams that have the better runs in the long run. You're going to see some rosters that have a lot of loaded lineups. The question is, though, by the time the race gets to the team for stage, will they have anything left in the tank uh, to really go for it at the end if they have to go for it, assuming it's still a competitive run to the fish, as it has been uh, the last several years. Of course, we've seen some close finish in prototype. Of course, we had the two Corvettes uh, side-by-side side at the finish line a couple years ago, so... Loaded opportunities, but uh, I think you're going to see some competitive racing in those two divisions. And obviously, GTD, uh, the kid caboodle of cars. Of course, a lot of people following Lexus to see what Scott Pruitt does in his final drive. But uh, I think right now, the most competitive action is going to be probably be a GT LeBlanc. I mean, you've got a Corvette on the pole, but only by two tenths of a second, two hundredths of a second faster than the first of the Fords. Uh, Porsche is close with their two cars. Of course, have the other Ferrari from recent competition. And uh, big question mark, though, is that BMW M8, brand-new car, I think has a ton of potential down the road. I just don't think it's going to be here. problem is the car is too new. It's not quick enough yet. And, of course, with new cars, you have new uh, car blues and a lot of mechanical problems. So even though they got loaded lineups of the Ray Hall Letterman cars, I just don't think they're going to have a car that is able to go the 24-hour distance without some sort of major problem hitting both of those cars along the way. Well, Matthew, I'll tell you what, as I mentioned, uh, this is a tradition uh, where uh, Formula One, IndyCar, and NASCAR drivers all come together uh, for one race. And one of the most famous drivers in the world, and we know him very, very well as, as he was here in Indianapolis for the Indianapolis 500, but he's uh, one of the, the most famous drivers in the world, uh, and that's uh, Fernando Alonso. is going to be uh, soaking up the uh, huge experience at the uh, Dayton, uh, Rolex uh, 24 at Daytona this year. Uh, Fernando Alonso is one that is 
arguably probably the best uh, race car driver in the world across any type of series that you may want. I know we would love to see him in IndyCar. He remains uh, with uh, Formula One, but he's at Daytona uh, this this weekend racing in the uh, day, uh, Rolex 24 at Daytona. Talk with us a little bit about the experience for, for Fernando Alonso. Well, I think it's scary. It's not necessarily a good thing that he is the best driver on his roster for United Auto Sports. I think the thing that, you know, Zach Brown should have done is load the roster with some veterans here so Fernando doesn't have to carry the load. I mean, uh, Lando Norris and Phil Hansen, I mean, they're solid as co-drivers, but they're silver-rated. I mean, there are four ratings for an FIA car driver in sports car. There is the top-of-the-class platinum rating. There is a gold rating for professionals. Then the silver and the bronze are for the newcomers or the younger or elderly drivers. And you've got two silvers on that lineup uh, beside the platinum and Fernando Alonso. So you know Alonso's going to be there. The only concern, though, is you got to wonder just how competitive Lando Norris and Bill Hansen are going to be. And I think that's going to be the thing that hurts uh, Alonzo's chances the most of getting a top finish are the, you know, not-so-great talent or potential of his two co-drivers. I mean, they're not at the same level that he is. And for it being his first sports car ride, and he's the top driver of the three, uh, I think that's a little scary thought. And uh, maybe a red flag out there that maybe this is not a ride capable of getting him a good result. I think that obviously a driver of his talent certainly I think would deserve well, absolutely. Let's uh, before we have to wrap it up and put a bow on our racing segment today. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Wayne Taylor Racing. Uh, they uh, that team captures the pole uh, for the 2018 Rolex uh, 24. Uh, help us get to know Wayne Taylor Racing. Well, obviously, no Jeff Gordon this year with them, but uh, they certainly have a three-driver lineup. Uh, Ricky Taylor, no longer driving with his brother, he's driving with Keith. That's still solid. Uh, questions, obviously, about Ryan Hunter Ray. Could he go to be a runner at the front, and then obviously Rager Vanderzander, who's been super quick, but he's been prone to accidents. And uh, so question marks there, but I think they have the car to beat as far as if you go on paper, this is the fastest car in the field last year in the IMSA Weather Tech Championship, so I think you got to like their chances there. Be curious to see, though, with Akriti Pesky how far Ricky Taylor goes. Uh, he has not participated in uh, any of the practice or qualified sessions this week, he has had a severe bout of flu, uh, kind of like what happened to his brother uh, two years ago at this event. And uh, be very interested to see how far Ricky Taylor could go. And if he can't go as far as he wants, uh, it's going to be putting a lot of pressure on Captain Davis and Ray Hall uh, to carry the slack for that lead Petsky, uh, much less the fact that uh, they still have question marks whether they can go 24 hours without serious uh, mechanical issues. Now, Matthew, you mentioned uh, Elio Castaneves. Of course, Elio Castaneves uh, moves to IMSA WeatherTech Sports uh, uh, Car Challenge full-time uh, this year in 2018 following, obviously, uh, does statement here, but Surefire Hall of Fame uh, career in the open-wheel competition. He'll start in second position in the team's uh, debut in the number seven Acura DPI. Talk with us a little bit about Elio Castaneves. He's taken to the pace well. He's been smart enough. I think he'll be smart enough not to make the stupid mistake and possibly put this car behind down the list. I don't know if we're going to see a fence climb or not uh, after the race, but because just not just based on talent, but I think the reliability, like I said, of this car is still a major question mark. And the last time Acura came here with a brand-new car, interesting story. They ran it here at Daytona. 
and then they never ran it again. So based on that little fact, uh, you have to be nervously chuckling at uh, what this uh, car could provide or may not provide uh, as far as being a competitor to win, uh, you know, this weekend. If uh, they didn't show much confidence in the last new car they built, uh, how much confidence do they really show with this car? Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, also with at, at Open Wheel uh, now and uh, with uh, WSBT up in South Bend. Matthew, I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, any uh, words of wisdom, uh, parting words of wisdom do you have for us, sir? Well, I think right now Wade Taylor Racing is the car to beat to win in the bait overall. Uh, you look at GTLM, I think Corvette uh, really got themselves smacked in the face last year with the full performance. I think they will be much more competitive this time around. And in GTD, I'd love to see, you know, Scott Pruitt go out a winner, but I think there are other cars in the field that are a much bigger threat. And I think uh, it's going to come down to one of those super quick Lamborghinis possibly wins it. Maybe uh, the Merkel Bodolati entry because uh, Merkel Bodolati uh, happened to thread me on Twitter. So, We'll back him and see how that goes today. All right, Matthew, we appreciate you joining us. Let's see if we can make it 24 hours. Uh, you have yourself a, a good race day, and uh, we'll be talking with you soon, sir. Good stuff. And as always, follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y. We'll have full updates uh, every hour as to where everyone's running and all that. So keep me followed, and I will keep you informed from start to finish. Sounds good. Matthew Embry uh, joins us, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, talking with us about the Rolex 24. I'll tell you what, stand by. We're about to get into some uh, more sports talk. Imagine that here. Grant, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Grant Afseth uh, joins us, and uh, he's uh, taking some time to call us from out in Arizona. Going to be talking with us. Uh, yes, he uh, is uh, a uh, columnist for the Co- uh, Kokomo Tribune. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Pacers, the Colts, and the getting us geared up for some NFL talk and then in the second hour it's all nfl our the whole team the whole crew will be here in the second hour my name's tom mark wassell presidente we'll be right back right here on the balance radio network Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. 
Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquisell, Presidente, 917-889-8516 is my digits. We are standing by uh, uh, for uh, <laughs> Grant uh, Afseth, and I probably butchered that last name. He's a columnist for the Kokomo Tribune uh, and certainly an Indiana Pacers analyst at Indiana Sports Coverage and certainly covers a lot to do with uh, Indiana sports and uh, Indianapolis uh, Colts and the Indiana Pacers and so forth. But he is calling us from Arizona. So you never know. Sometimes uh, they fall asleep and they and they don't uh, wake back up in time, I guess. But you know, uh, why, why we're standing by for him, we'll, we'll switch gears for for uh, just a, a moment here, I want to talk with you a little bit, and we're going to get into more of this conversation with Ed and Mo and and Rick, uh, uh, the whole crew, uh, as we bring them on in the second hour. But I really, really want to talk with you about this Larry Nasser case. It is so disturbing on so many levels, and I know that the the judge is catching a lot of flack flack for maybe showboating when she said, you know, it was a pleasure hearing the stories of the survivors, uh, but it's also a pleasure of mine to sentence you to, well, what amounts to be 170 years. Now, keep this in mind, that he already had received from uh, federal court, he had already received a sentence of uh, 60 years for child pornography. So he received from uh, this from the Michigan uh, judge, uh, 45 to 175 years. And that doesn't even start till he's completed his 60 years in prison. Now the guy is 50 some odd years old. He's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. That's great. That's fantastic. But what we're seeing here is we're seeing a fallout at Michigan State University. And just to kind of help you understand the timeline there, Michigan State University employed uh, Larry Nasser as a, a, a 
doctor, if you will, a uh, uh, a doctor for their gymnastics and teams and so forth. So he, he, the 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 deal that he did with the U.S. gymnastics was more or less, in a lot of ways, the best way to explain it is a was a second job. He was employed by Michigan State University when all of this was going on. What we're seeing, we saw the president of Michigan State University step down. We saw the athletic director of Michigan State University step down. We're seeing a lot of things that are very, very similar to what we saw in in the Sandusky case with Penn State. Now, if you want to call and talk about that, feel free, 917-889-8516. By every definition, this guy is a monster. By every definition, this guy uh, does not deserve to live, let alone spend the rest of his life in prison. There is a special place in hell for this guy, and you know, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't say it like this, but he won't last long in prison. We wouldn't think so, just because. Well, murderers can be in prison. Child molesters are not welcome in prison. But that said. What we see here is all kinds of cover-up. It, to me, it is so, and we saw it play out with Penn State. To me, it is so um, I, in a lot of ways, I would say just as bad, if you will, to be in part of the cover-up or to turn a blind eye or to to, to 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 say, oh, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I hope that the FBI gets involved in this. I hope that there are so many criminal charges just because the president or the athletic director, oh, by the way, announced their retirement amid the scandal. I hope that it doesn't stop there. Now, I'm not trying to play the judge, jury, and executioner. What I am trying to say is that if the facts come out and the president of Michigan State University, the athletic director, and now we're even hearing some things that maybe Tom Izzo knows some things, didn't know some things. One of the things that he did do was come to the defense of the president of Michigan State University. Now, again, I'm not playing judge jury and executioner what i am doing is looking at the timing being very suspect i'm looking at what why now are you stepping down amid this uh scandal if you will there is more underneath these rocks there is a pattern of denial uh information suppression if you will at Michigan State, and we saw this, and you know what? I hate to say this, but we've been there, done this before with Penn State, Sandusky, uh, and the Nittany Lions. Now, unfortunately, yes, Penn State's a great school, and, and, and that's that's how we uh, began our friendship here at The Balance with Ed Kratz, our official beat writer for, uh, the, uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles and USA Today and our NFL contributor. Uh, great friends with Ed, but that's how we started our, our, our friendship, if you will. I had Ed on the show to talk with us about uh, Sandusky, and I never talked with Ed before. But we have been here. We have done this. We have seen this before. 
you know, here's the thing. Michigan State University administrators have long claimed uh, to the federal government and the public, for that matter, uh, that they have handled sexual assault, violence, and gender discrimination uh, complaints properly. Well, maybe I want to call BS on that. Because one of the things that we saw with an ESPN outside the lines investigation uh, found a pattern of widespread denial uh, and information suppression of such allegation by, by officials. So maybe I want to call BS. Ranging from the campus police to the Spartan Athletic Department, leader Mark Hollis announced his retirement on Friday. Why? Why are you retiring, Mark Hollis? Please tell us. Just timing? It's just coinky-dink. The actions go well beyond the highly publicized case of the former MSU uh, athletic physician Larry Nasser. Yes, he's a monster. But we, we saw this play out with uh, Penn State. And, you know, over the past three years, if you will, and, and a lot of people don't know this, and, and I don't know if this is uh, – I hope the Indianapolis Star gets a pollster for this. Uh, but, you know, and I'm not saying this is a bragging point, uh, but I'm thankful to the Indianapolis Star. The Indianapolis Star, and for those of you that don't know this, is the one that really, in, in, for all intents and purposes, broke this story with Larry Nasser. Is the one who, who kind of like dug their teeth in and said, no, we don't like the answers that you're giving us. The Indianapolis Star is the one that really kind of brought this to the forefront. Uh, if you didn't know. But over the past three years, Michigan State University has three times fought in court unsuccessfully uh, to withhold the names of athletes and campus police records. Uh, the school has also deleted such information from some incident reports that were just basically unreadable. There's a lot of stuff that's not passing the smell test with Michigan State University, the NCAA, the FBI need to get involved in this, and I, I think they already are. I think that they, are, that they already are. There, there has been a pattern of cover-up at Michigan State University that uh, is just amazing to me that this has been allowed to, to go on. And, and I hope, I hope that, that even though we're seeing people at Michigan State University retire and step down, I hope. I hope it doesn't stop. I hope the search doesn't stop with the NCAA, the FBI, and law enforcement officials. Larry Nasser may have been the figurehead monster that we saw go to jail, but there was a lot going on behind the scenes prior to that. Maybe a lot that could have avoided some of the victims anyway. Maybe. You know what? I, I tell you what. I have a granddaughter. I have a son, and I could not imagine. Uh, you know, my son was very much involved in gymnastics. In fact, he turned down a, a, uh, a full-ride scholarship to the University of Tennessee to be a cheerleader to go into the Marines. Fortunately, to my knowledge, we've never had to deal with that. But as a, as a parent, I can't imagine l helping your kid chase their dreams and getting them with the best teams and the best doctors in the world. Larry Nasser was one of the best gymnastics in the world. That's why he was a U.S. Olympics physician. 
And he abused that power. He abused the trust that was given him. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of stuff happen that, to me, I just, I'm cringing. I'm cringing because I've seen this happen before. Uh, since Diamato's uh, tenure began in 2007, talking about Mark Diamato, I'm sorry, the, the football coach and basketball coach Tom Izzo, have had incidents involving their programs outside the, the investigation with ESPN Outside the Lines found. Uh, since his tenure began in 2007, at least 16 Michigan State University players have been accused of sexual assault or violence against women, according to interviews and public records and so forth. Uh, even more, uh, Diamato uh, was said to be involved in handling the discipline in at least one of the, of the cases several years ago. And as recently as June, D'Amato faced a crowd of reporters who were asking him questions about four of his football players who had been accused of sexual assault. Six questions in, in a uh, six question in a reporter asked D'Amato how he had handled such allegations previously. There is a pattern at Michigan State University, a pattern that needs to stop. There. And if it's happening in other schools, it needs to. So it's just, you know, it, 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 there, there's some, you could go to ESPN, look at outside the line investigations, but you'll, you'll see everything that I'm seeing. Uh, they also uh, came up with a, uh, a report that was never publicized before of sexual violent incidents involving members of Iva Izzo's uh, basketball team. Uh, as, as you know, Tom Izzo is at Michigan State, as is Bobby Knight was here at Indiana University, as is, uh, you know, Coach K at Duke. He is the staple. Uh, he is the face of that basketball program. And there's reports that have never been publicized before involving sexual or violent incidents involving members of, of Izzo's uh, basketball team and program, including one report that made against a former undergraduate student assistant coach who was allowed to continue coaching after he had criminally been charged for punching a female Michigan State University student in the face at a bar in 2010. A few months later, uh, after the Spartans quali uh, qualified for the 2010 Final Four, the same assistant coach, was accused of sexually assaulting a different female student. Where is this okay? 917-889-8516 is my digits. We were hoping, and maybe we'll still grab him maybe in the next hour or so, uh, Grant Alsef, uh, of course he is out in Arizona, uh, so uh, I understand that, and he's in college out there too. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of give him a break, uh, but I know that uh, he was going to come in and, and, and talk with us about the Pacers and the Colts and, and so forth. And, and you know, I, I'm glad we're talking about this now. I, I had some of this. I, I, I blew some of my, my show thunder for a second hour, but fortunately the crew will be here and help me bail me out. But, I got you know, the thing about it is I am really disturbed about this story. And I'm glad to see Larry Nassar get his 170-some-odd years in, in jail, the rest of his life. I mean, he's not getting out of prison. 
And But I want everybody that knew about it, I want everybody that, that's covering this up, I want them, every Michigan State University official that knew something about this and turned the eye, turned the head, I want them to face accountability for this. I want a full investigation. Michigan State uh, uh, into Michigan State officials. Uh, let's, let's, let's just go through the list. Former President Lou Ann, Anna Simon, who stepped down. Why? Why did you step down, Lou Ann? Please tell us. She resigned on Wednesday. She's been criticized for lack of transparency, for not properly handling the Nasser sexual abuse allegations. As far as back as 1997, athletes begin to tell multiple Michigan State University officials, including the university's longtime gymnastics coach, that Nasser was assaulting them under their medical his medical treatment yet he was allowed to be employed there yet he was allowed to continue his employment several survivors as is what they're being called they're not victims anymore they're survivors and i do applaud the judge at in michigan that said you're no longer victims you are survivors so yes we are using that word survivors it's something that has happened at michigan state university Again, let me repeat this. We have been here. We have done this. We have seen this. We know what's going on. Penn State University is our case study for this. We have seen it. Sandusky, we have been there. Prove me wrong. I hope I'm wrong, Michigan State University. Prove me wrong. Lansing, Michigan, prove me wrong. But until you do... My my thought is this, and, and I don't like to say you're, you're again, not playing uh, judge, jury, and, and executioner, but what I am saying is, at this point, what I see is what's in front of me. And what I see in, is in front of me is a case of just cover-up after cover-up after cover-up after cover-up after cover-up. Again, as far back as 1997, student-athletes uh, began telling Michigan State uh, officials uh, that the coach, Larry Nasser was assaulting them under medical treatment. Several uh, survivors uh, talked about this in great detail, if you will. In 2014... Again, I'm, I'm referring to the Outside the Lines uh, report by ESPN.com. So we, we, we are gathering a lot of our data that we're talking about on the show today from that report. Now, I will say that ESPN is not always the best network to go to for sports coverage these days. But I will say this. This report seems to be very, very legit. This report does not seem to be air quote fake news. So maybe I'll be proven wrong that it is, and if it is, I'll, I will sit here and I'll eat a whole pie of crow and enjoy it. But until I'm proven wrong, I'm going to go with what I, the data that I see in this report. And data is what it is. It's data. It is. Or data. Data or data. Um, but in 2014, 
Michigan State officials did not notify federal officials that the university had a dual uh, title and campus police investigation of Nassar underway, even though federal investigators were on campus that year scrutinizing how Michigan State University dealt with sexual assault allegations. Again, the Outside Lines report also found that Michigan State administration still have not provided to fe uh, federal officials all documents related to the Nassar, Nassar, uh, Larry Nassar allegations. Why? I mean, this resignation and this fallout from Michigan uh, State University is huge. And uh, the unfortunate thing about it, as compared to maybe, uh, what do we, what, Again, I, I draw the comparison lines between Michigan State and Penn State, but maybe Michigan State's a little bit more difficult to prove. But, you know, I, I, I just want accountability for everybody who is responsible, even if it's the, in the smallest, smallest ways. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. This is The Balance. You know, we do this thing every Saturday morning, in case you didn't know. Get off my rant. I know. I get on my soapbox and get on my rant. We'll blame Grant for uh, not calling in today uh, on me getting on my rant. 917-889-8516 is my digits if you want to call and, and talk about Larry Nassar. If you want to talk, talk about the Rolex 24, if you want to talk about the Super Bowl and the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles in the uh, Super Bowl. Uh, uh, Ed Kratz is going to be joining us as part of our crew. Our, our Well, our crew during football season anyway uh, is going to be joining us here in the next hour. And we're going to be talking about the New England Patriots and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, uh, Ed Kratz is very close to that situation. as He is the official beat writer uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles for USA Today. He's also has a more important job than that. He is the official NFL contributor uh, for the balance. And uh, so we're going to be talking with them about the Philadelphia Eagles. And we're also going to be continuing this conversation throughout the next hour about Larry Nassar. Uh, you know, we're going to focus a lot on the Super Bowl, but we, we want to talk about this uh, Larry Nassar thing in, in, in Michigan. Uh, Rick Riggins is also going to be joining us, our official college football contributor, and Mo. Uh, from the BS Sports Show is going to be joining us around 10.30 or so, and we're going to be talking more about the Super Bowl and a little bit about the NBA. Now, here's the thing. After this, this weekend is the Pro Bowl, I believe, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But after the Super Bowl, I promise you, we'll get into a lot of our college basketball conversation. I have not forgot it. I have not... Uh, forgot that Purdue's playing IU this Sunday. I, I have not forgot that Purdue beat Michigan. I have not forgot a lot of the big stories that are going on in the NCAA basketball. But there's just so much to cover. And so, and as you know, our show we kind of seasonally follow uh, the what's going on. So we will get into uh, college basketball talk. Plenty of college basketball talk as we gear as we go into February. Of course, March, March Madness. Hello. Uh, so don't you worry. 
don't you worry, my dear. We will get into some college basketball. So maybe we'll we'll touch on that. And then, of course, NBA is underway. And, you know, the Pacers are very surprising to us. And here's something funny this week we saw happen. We saw Victor Oladipo, IU grad, by the way, um, and made his way has made his way back to the Pacers, plays for the Pacers now. Uh, get on the All Star team. Why one Paul one Paul George uh, was snubbed? I think it's funny. I think it's hilarious. And you know what? We caught so much slack for this that trade to Oklahoma City involving Victor Oladipo. I just think it's funny. Just a comical moment for myself. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight five one six is my digits. You know, I want to make sure that you are following us on all of our social media outlets. We like to be social and heck, we're media. So why not combine the two worlds together, right? At T Balance on Twitter, just go there, hit follow. Uh, go to Facebook, type in the Balance. You'll see our logo there, and then. Just hit like, real easy. Now, we have some other uh, family of social meteors, if you will. Pro Indie on Facebook, at Pro Indie, uh, at Pro Indie One, I'm sorry, on uh, Twitter. Basically, what we do on there is we cover everything to do with sports inside the city of Indianapolis. The Hot Corner 2, uh, which is all Major League Baseball minor league baseball, anything to do with baseball. Also, at IndyInMay.com, and at IndyInMay is all uh, IndyCar racing, everything to do with IndyCar racing and some other racing. But at the end of the day, at T-Balance is where you need to be at. Because if you're following at T-Balance, we throw everything on there, everything from high school sports. If it's sports-related, we throw it on there. My name is Saul Marquis, El Presidente. Rick Rogan standing by in our uh, green room, if you will. And uh, we'll be right back. And uh, we're going to get into some more of this Larry Nassar talk. We're going to get into some more NFL talk, the Super Bowl with Ed Kratz. Uh, my name is Saul Marquis, El Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. So I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. back to the balance. My name is Tom Marquis El Presidente. 917-889-8516 is our digits. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official, official IndyCar contributor, uh, for joining us in the first hour to talk with us in uh, more detail uh, uh, about the Rolex 24 uh, and uh, the 24-hour race, if you will, that's going on in Daytona. And we, we began our also began our conversation in the last half hour about Larry Nasser out in, in uh, uh, with the, that in the fallout with Michigan State University, been there, done that before. We've saw that before. We want to get into our NFL talk uh, with Ed Kratz, our official beat writer for, I mean, not our official beat writer, the official beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, USA Today, and of course our, our official college football contributor and all-around great guy, Rick Riggin. Uh Rick, how are you, sir? Uh, pretty good, Tom. I feel like it's been forever since I've been on the show. I tell you what, we were wondering if you had uh, taken a, uh, a leave of absence or not. Ed, Ed Kratz also joins us. Ed, how are you, sir? Hey, hey, I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me back, as always. Hey, Ed, you're always welcome here. I mean, even when it's not football, we could find something to talk about with you. One, I do want to get into this huge game. There's a game going on here in a couple of weeks up in Minneapolis. Uh, you, you may have heard about it, but we'll we'll talk about that little. Just just a little game going on. Uh, there's a little 
couple teams in there that nobody's ever heard of. But nonetheless, no, I'm just kidding. But I do want to get into that. But before that, uh, Ed, it, 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 it is sad that I have to to to. Uh, our friendship is awesome on so, on so many levels. But the the fact is, we met and we started talking with uh, when uh, with. With Penn State and Sandusky, when that was going on, you came on our show, and and you have been a, a a great part of our team since then. But it's unfortunate that we have to say we have been there, done that before. And I I want to kind of get you guys' thoughts and unpack this Larry Nasser and Michigan State uh, event. It, it's just so sad on so many levels. Now, I ha- I know the judge was criticized for showboating when she said, you know. I took great privilege in hearing the stories of these survivors, but I'm also going to take great privilege in sentencing you to basically the rest of your life in prison. 170 years, plus he already had 60 years uh, for child porn uh, uh, cases, and then there's also some miscellaneous cases that he's not been sentenced on yet. Uh, He's never getting out of prison. Great. Fantastic. Okay, justice part one done. But now we look at Michigan State University, and unfortunately, Ed, we have been there. We have seen this before, and we're starting to see it just fall apart. And the unfortunate part about it, we're seeing iconic names like Tom Izzo and this Michigan State University athletic uh, uh, program uh, falling apart. Let's talk about it. What are your thoughts about what's going on with Michigan State University and Larry Nasser and so forth? Well, you're right. We have been here and done that with uh, Jerry Sandusky and what happened at Penn State. And, you know, we saw the penalties that Penn State incurred uh, because of that. And probably a big reason why Joe Paterno died was, uh, you know, because of a broken heart and what had happened to his program. And you can say what you want about Paterno knowing what he did and, and didn't know. Um, but you can say the same thing here with Michigan State, right? I mean, they they knew what was going on. And, you, you know, it even trickles down to the NCAA or, or, you know, the president, Mark Emmert, of the NCAA even allegedly knew what was happening and never acted on it. Um, you know, that whole stick your head in the sand thing that uh, is, it seems so dark ages at this point. Uh, I, I just don't understand how that kind of a culture can, uh, can fester without someone seeing it and bringing it to light. Um, especially in this day and age, and especially if, you know, the Penn State model, uh, you know, having seen what happened there, I don't know why if this is happening, it doesn't come to light sooner or why people try to protect and cover it up. So, uh, you know, it's a shame for the people that are affected by this, you know, these, these uh, I guess now adults or, or teenagers that were affected when they were children being abused uh, by Nasser. Uh, and and what, what will the NCAA do not only with its president, but now with the Michigan State, will we see the same kind of uh, penalties uh, that were given to Penn State when uh, the whole Sandusky thing happened? I mean, obviously, this is just kind of a tip of the iceberg type of a story now with the sentencing of Nasser, and uh, we're not done with it. We're going to see what the fallout is from here. Hey, and Rick, I want to get your thoughts as well. But, you know, the thing is, uh, what is I just – I, I hope it doesn't stop. We, we've seen the resignation of uh, some uh, top MSU uh, uh, officials. I hope it doesn't stop. I hope the, the FBI, I hope the NCAA grind their teeth in, and I hope that they uh, 
get hold everybody accountable that had some anything to do with this whatsoever. Rick Riggin, what are your thoughts? Larry Nasser uh, and uh, the Michigan State University fallout. It's really hard for me to believe that, that something like this goes unnoticed for so long because, you know, what, what happened with Penn State and now Michigan State, and we're not talking about two schools on opposite ends of the coast and different time periods. We're talking about two schools in the same conference with a lot of this stuff going on at the exact same time. And I just cannot believe that something like this happens and goes unnoticed because, hey, you guys know when student athletes get too much free food, or go to a coach's house for a barbecue. That's in proper benefits, and everybody's really hyper-vigilant on stuff like that. Something stupid and simple stuff like that, and they come down hard with fines and penalties and everything on a university. So how does we go from being really hyper-vigilant on things like that to all the sexual misconduct and just all this disgusting stuff going on goes unnoticed? How do we get here? It is it is unbelievable to me, and and I know we did. I I guess we kind of had the same discussion with Penn State, but you know, I, I, I'm I'm totally in favor of the Big Ten coming together and say, uh, Michigan State, you're out. We're done. You're not part of us anymore. Now I know there's a whole process for that. We will have to see how it plays out. But Ed, would you be a fan of of uh, the Big Ten saying we are you are no longer part of the Big Ten? Um. Boy, that's that's a good question. I, um, they didn't kick Penn State out of the Big Ten. You can make the argument that maybe they should have. I, I'm not sure you just kick them to the curb. I think you have to uh, obviously uh, clean house. Uh, you have to impose some sort of sanctions, uh, and you have to make sure that they're proceeding, you know, by following the letter of the law from from this day forward. You know, you have to have many checks and balances in place. But no, I don't. I don't think I'd want to see them kicked out of the Big Ten. I. Uh, you know, I just think that you, you, you impose your sanctions and then you monitor, closely monitor uh, what they're doing um, and, and keep them as part of the league. But, you know, there's going to have to be some kind of uh, something, some sort of retribution that is going to have to take place to make, you know, to appease fans and to, uh, you know, bring them back to watching whatever uh, Michigan State sports looks like after this. And, uh, you know, it's going to probably be a load, long road back. But we've said that about Penn State, too. You know, uh, it would be a long road back, and they were able to overcome. And, uh, you know, they paid a lot of uh, money out to the victims of the Sandusky uh, molestation case. And I expect Michigan State will have to do the same, but they're going to have to do things to make it right if they want to stay in the conference, uh, which I think they should. I I don't think they should be kicked out of the conference. I don't know. Maybe Rick uh, has a different take on that, but I, I feel like they should be a part of it as long as they make retribution and are closely monitored going forward. Here, here's, here's, here's the difference uh, real quick, and then Rick will get your thoughts to this. We'll get into the Super Bowl talk. But here, here, here's the difference on this. What we're seeing, though, is not – with Penn State, and again, I'm not minimizing uh, Sandusky or Penn State because it was very, very bad and very, very, very serious. So please don't uh, take it that I'm minimizing that. But what I am saying is what we know and what we seem to know, it was isolated to a football program. Okay, it was isolated there. What we're seeing now come out with Michigan State University. Rick, get your thoughts on the uh, allegations concerning uh, Mark D'Antonio, uh, the football coach. Uh, and then now we're seeing allegations. And we're not just talking about 
child molestation. We're talking about sexual assault as well against women. I know that's a hot topic right now, and I know that that's a. Uh, I'm not trying to uh, paint that picture with a with a broad brush, but what I am saying is we are seeing a lot of things happen with Michigan State all at once. We didn't see that happen with Penn State, and maybe we should have kicked out Penn State, but we didn't. But if we kick out Michigan State, I think that sends a message. And I mean, I gotta wonder. I gotta wonder: Is every five years or so we're gonna see this happen? And if it happens again in the Big Ten, Big Ten has a, has a problem. Rick um, uh, Mark D'Antonio denies allegations against his uh, that, that are coming against him, but we've also seen allegations uh, concerning Tom Izzo, which by, by all rights, a lot of people could say that Tom Izzo is the Bobby Knight of. Of, or the Paterno of, of Michigan, Michigan State. He is the face of Michigan State. But you see names like Tom Izzo being floated around when it comes to sexual assault. And knowing about it and turning his head, there's a lot of th- questions that have to be answered. But Mark uh, D'Antonio d- denies everything. But what are your thoughts uh, regarding that? Well, that's where I was going when uh, it's going to come back to me for if we should kick Penn's, uh, Michigan State out of the conference or not. It's the uh, 16, so far 16 allegations of uh, sexual assault, you know, by football players since uh, Mark Antonio's been there in 07. And now we're seeing two allegations of rape by basketball players since Tom Izzo's been there in 97, since 97. Uh, this is, it doesn't end with Larry Nasser or, uh, you know, the president resigning or the athletic director resigning or retiring or whatever he did, uh, which both of those, by the way, I do believe, I feel, is a mission of guilt because they knew something. You don't just go ahead and resign, you know, if you're not going to try to fight for your job and get drugged through the mud. If you truly didn't know anything and you were left out in the dark, I believe those two did know something and they resigned because that's a mission of guilt. Uh, but with uh, this whole thing with Antonio and Izzo and those, all those allegations, and it seems like they've been swept under the rug so far, uh, we're going to see what happens with these two because if, if that's the case, if these allegations are true and these guys did sweep this stuff under the rug, I do believe Michigan State is out of the conference because these are – Izzo's an icon right now. And Antonio's the same way in college football. Uh, you get guys like this sweeping stuff like that under the rug – after this Larry Nashville thing, there's no way Michigan State can stay in the conference. No way. I absolutely agree. And I, I just hope that that who cares if they resigned or, air quotes, retired uh, officials I'm talking about from Michigan State University. Uh, this everybody, everybody, I don't care who it is, needs to be held accountable. And if there's a huge cover-up going on with Michigan State University, Big Ten needs to send a signal and say, we don't want any part of it. All right, guys, let's move on. Something more positive. Hey, uh, Ed, did you hear? I heard a little birdie, no pun intended, that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. Congratulations, buddy. We told you. I told you. Stay, keep the faith. You guys, everybody tell me, oh, oh, no, no, there's no way you can get to the Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz uh, also tore his left. Uh, LCL, uh, but rehab won't be significant impacted. But you guys got through the Super Bowl. You're there. Yes, you play the Patriots, but that story's been told before. We don't want to talk about the secret Patriots. We want to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Tell us, buddy, if you've been hanging out at the Philadelphia Eagles complex, give us the feel what it's like there in the city of brotherly love 
and uh, give us a, a feel of what it's like inside the locker room with the Philadelphia Eagles this week. It's got to be pure mayhem. Well, it, you know, uh, the city is electric. It can start there. I mean, you know, fans are ecstatic, uh, obviously, that they are in the Super Bowl. I mean, this you can say, yes, we didn't expect to get there because Nick Foles had to take over for Carson Wentz, but you can go back to the summer in training camp when the expectation in anybody's mind was that the Eagles were going to go to the Super Bowl. So this, this to the fan base is the whole season has kind of been an unexpected surprise. You could say, I mean, people thought they would be better than last year, seven and nine, maybe 10 and six, if they got the right breaks. But uh, this has been a most unexpected Super Bowl journey kind of, uh, you know, when you look at maybe the Phillies back in, uh, 2008, when they made it to the World Series, there there was talk that maybe they were another year away, uh, and that's kind of the feeling with this team. Is you thought, okay, Carson Wentz will need another year to develop, and this roster will still need to be rebuilt in some areas. But you know, here they are uh, in the Super Bowl, and it's interesting that it's going to be a rematch with the New England Patriots. I've talked to some uh, Philadelphia Eagles alumni from that 2005 team, and uh, they feel like they kind of got cheated. Uh, by the Patriots uh, when they were involved a lot at that time in the Spygate scandal and this and that. And, um, you know, yes, the Eagles, they say, made some mistakes in the game. L.J. Smith fumbled in that game, and that was costly. But there was a key interception um, in that game that you want. they wonder if uh, they kind of read, uh, you know, they knew that play was coming, and the Patriots were able to shut down the Eagles' screen game with Brian Westbrook back then. It was a big part of the uh, their offense, and you wonder if, the you know, the being able to watch tape uh, of their tendencies illegally uh, impacted that. So uh, it's a rematch. It's interesting that Tom Brady is still the quarterback 13 years later, game and Bill Belichick still the head coach. You know, it's that, that's amazing to me because when you look at the Eagles, Donovan McNabb was the quarterback in 05 and Andy Reid was the head coach. And, you know, they, McNabb's retired, Reid's in another city. Uh, and that's, that's kind of amazing to me, but in, inside the locker room, uh, Tom, it's been, uh, the players still, to me, seem very loose. Uh, they're having a lot of fun. Um, but I think this is an important week for them to get work done. Uh, and, and some of the guys, the Eagles have seven players on this roster who have won Super Bowl rings. And one of them uh, told me, uh, Chris Long, who won a Super Bowl with the Patriots last year, that this is the week to get work done because next week when you're in Minnesota or you know at the Super Bowl, it's crazy. It's bedlam. You have all these media requests. You have all these requests from friends. It's, hey, I'm in town. Let's get together. Let's go out. He goes, you need to learn to say no. He said, but it's hard to get as much work done next week as it is this week. So this week is really about putting in the game plan as much as you possibly can, practicing it because next week it gets more and more hectic. So, uh, you know, but the players are loose. Chris Long also said that this is probably the, the most, the, the best team he's ever played on that hasn't, uh, get get that gets rattled. Uh, he said this team doesn't get rattled easily. And he said I was on the Super Bowl team last year that was down 28 to three against the Falcons, and even the Eagles don't don't get as rattled as that team did in that game. He says the mental makeup in this locker room is great. And the Eagles are going to need that when they go against this dynasty of the Patriots. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. I tell you what, man, we couldn't have planned it any better. We got our Super Bowl show coming up. You're a part of our show. We could not have planned this any better. And I told you a long time, and, and, and I'm not just saying this. As you know, I'm not just saying this. A long time ago, before no. Carson Wentz even got hurt, 
I told you, you guys are going to the Super Bowl this year. Rick Riggin, uh, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and the New England Patriots. A lot of people are poking fun about refs uh, uh, congratulating Tom Brady. We just don't. We just don't like the Patriots. Uh, uh, everybody in the nation is rooting for the Eagles uh, to, cl- to include everybody here in Indianapolis, and I'm sure as well as the Jacksonville Jaguars. But let's look at the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Minnesota Vikings, Rick. They were both very, very good teams. Uh, but Jacksonville hung right with uh, New England. We have us a new monster inside the AFC South. <laughs> well, uh, he, one penalty for 10 yards for the entire game. I mean, no team in the history of football. That <laughs> Not even Alabama. <laughs> so that's a little fishy to me. So. <laughs> what, are you, uh, what, are your, what are you applying there, Rick? <laughs> right. <laughs> So, uh, and, uh, and I, I would say fly, Eagles fly. Hey, are you going to the game? Are you going to the Super Bowl? Uh, yeah, I, I'm leaving Tuesday to go to Minnesota, yeah. Will you swing by and pick me up? <laughs> I can wave <laughs> high when I'm flying over. I wave hello when I'm flying yeah, right over. Right on the way, there, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> right on the way. Hey, I got a layover. I have a layover in Chicago. I have a layover in Chicago if you want to drive over to uh, the Windy City. Maybe you can uh, run out to the tarmac and I'll open the door. I'll drive from where I'm at. It's not too bad. I can get okay. up there. All right. <laughs> hey, Rick, on your way there, stop and pick me up, too. We'll, we'll, we'll both uh, right. do a uh, dumb and dumb on the uh, thing. Wait! That's the classic scene. Hey, Tom, we'll, we'll, we'll take up, that up, new whip you got. <laughs> hey, hey. Yeah, that's right. That's what that's what Ed said. Yeah. Uh, bring my bring my new wheels on a road trip. And he did offer to buy dinner, so hey, and it might be worth the the a nine hour drive to Minneapolis in the in the winter in the snow to uh, to go up there. Uh, but but really seriously, uh, guy, uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on the New England Patriots and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and the journey that? These teams, well, we say both. Let's just give credit to Maybe we just got, and I know you listen to Clay Travis as well, Rick. But, you know, earlier this week, Clay Travis, and I, I'm a big, big fan of his. I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a groupie of Clay Travis, so I have to admit that I'm a homer when it comes to him. But he did say this. He's like, maybe we just got to realize that New England's a good team and that Tom Brady's a, a, a good, good quarterback. He, As we know, Clay Travis was a big Peyton Manning guy, obviously uh, from Tennessee. He's a Tennessee. Tennessee Titan Homer, uh, even though he has a national show, he's a Tennessee Titan Homer. I'm a Colts Homer, but he did say that maybe we just got to realize that if Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are a dynasty that we have to deal with at this point in time. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, you know it's the 60th straight Super Bowl appearance for the Patriots, and uh, I think the difference in this game is, is really going to be Belichick and Brady are going to put the weight of winning the Super Bowl on the shoulders of Nick Foles, and. Uh, and Rod knows a lot more about it than me, but uh, Foles has never been in that position, so I don't know how that's going to go, how, how it will play out with Nick Foles. He had a great game against Minnesota, and the Philly uh, Philly's defense really looks good. Uh, I think the, the defense for Philly can just do anything, hang with uh, Tom Brady and anything the Patriots want to do, but it's just going to be the weight of winning the Super Bowl on Nick Foles' shoulders. Uh, how's that going to play out? And that's why I, I'm giving the Patriots maybe just a little bit of a slight edge here. And, you know, I make, that's, a, that's a good point there, uh, Rick, and, and, and Ed, I'll get your thoughts on this. One of the things that I talked with you about uh, via text when, when all of this unfolded, I said, I said, what 
what beat Jacksonville was experience. The New England Patriots did not beat Jacksonville Jaguars, but experience beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. You can't give Tom Brady that much time in the pocket. And there were so many little things that happened at the end of the game. We make jokes about calls not being called, but it is what it is. But at the end of the day, Tom Brady, given time, he will do what he needs to do to win a game. How do you guys game plan? How does the Philadelphia game plan against Tom Brady? You gotta, you gotta punch him in the face and keep punching him in the face and keep punching him in the face and keep punching him in the face until the clock hits zero 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 because you can't leave any time on the clock with New England Patriots and Tom Brady. Yeah, well, the best way to play Tom Brady is to keep him parked on the sidelines. Uh, and that's one advantage the Eagles have is they led the league in time of possession this year. Uh, you know, they hold the ball for over 32 minutes every game. And uh, they're able to do that with a, a, a running attack and a short passing attack. And I, if you look at the Patriots' defenses, they're, they're terrible against the run. Uh, they give up big chunks of yardage. The Eagles' run game, you look at Garrett Blunt, who used to play for the Patriots uh, last year. He won two Super Bowl rings with them. Now he's in the Eagles' uniform, and I know this game is huge for him. Uh, in fact, you can make a case that LeGarrette Blunt is probably going to do the lion's share of the ball carrying uh, in the Super Bowl. I know Jay Ajayi has had that role the last uh, two playoff wins, but uh, you know I think Peterson would be smart to ride LeGarrette Blunt and give him the ball uh, a little bit more in this game than he has in the previous two playoff games, uh, based on you know just that chip he has on his shoulder against you know going against the Patriots. Uh, so I think the Eagles are going to try to run the ball uh, as much as they can. I think you're going to try to control the clock with the short passing game, and they're going to try to do what they've done all year, and that's control the clock and keep the other team's offense parked on the sidelines. And then when Brady does have the ball, if you look at his two losses in the Super Bowl to the New York Giants, what did the New York Giants have? They had a terrific defensive line. You look at this Eagles defensive line, they have seven guys that they rotate in who can really generate a pass rush. And that's the way you beat the Patriots is you rush four guys and you get pressure with four guys and you drop seven into coverage. That's how the Giants did it. And I think the Eagles have the ability to do that with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and uh, Tim Jernigan and, you know, Chris Long. I mean, you could just go down the list. This defensive line has been this team's strength all season long. And I think that's a strength that matches up very well with the New England Patriots. So you look at those two factors, you look at that defensive line, uh, getting in Brady's face, especially with pressure up the middle with Cox, Jernigan, and Bo Allen. If you can uh, not allow him to step up, if you get him going backwards uh, to throw the ball, you're going to win. And then you do it by keeping him on the sidelines for as long as possible. If you only give him 22 minutes of, of, uh, ball, of the ball during the game, you're going to win. And to do that, they have to run the ball and control the clock. Rick, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the Philadelphia Eagles and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Here, here's the thing about the Philadelphia Eagles. They are a great team systematically, and I think you'll agree with this, Ed, but if the, the New England Patriots do what they are known to do, and that is to, to take your greatest asset and use it against you or, or destroy it or move it out of the picture, that throws them off their game. And unfortunately, in, in, in no offense to the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Rick, as you know, I'm in your corner, but if they're knocked off their game, if they're knocked off their system or their systematic way of doing things, it could really hurt them, Rick. Yeah, and it was touching on somehow the New England Patriots defense isn't all that great, which is uh, bad news for me because Matt Patricia's going to be the Lions head coach. But uh, <laughs> actually, I don't know where I was going to do that. 
But, uh, you know, I, this is the thing you have going to throw in the line. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about the running game, the, the great defense. Uh, <laughs> Doug Peterson had, has a great visor head and, and hair combo. It looks like a Gautieri hat and hair is what, is what he's rocking. So, uh, that's why I'm pulling for him. But I just think the Patriots going to have a little bit of a slight edge in this game. It, like I said, it's just it's, I keep Brady off the field, but they, have, they seem to find a way. They've been here a million times. And it, it's just really uh, what Foles is going to do under you know, in the big spotlight on the big stage. Uh, Rick, we know you just wanted to throw the Detroit Lions in the Super Bowl conversation somehow. That was the <laughs> only way you could do it was to talk about <laughs> About Patricia being the next coach uh, for the uh, Detroit Lions. And, and, and joining us now also is uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show. Uh, and we'll get his uh, thoughts on a few things here in just a moment. Uh, but, but, Ed, seriously, uh, again, I'm, I'm all Eagles. You know that. But how easy is it going to be for New England to throw you guys off your game? Well, I mean, they, that's what they're good at. You know, they're going to adapt uh, during the game. They're going to take away any tendencies that you have. Um, but if you look at this Eagles offense, I mean, who are you taking away? They put up 31 points against the Vikings. They put up 38, but seven of them came on defense. But they put up 31 points, and there wasn't a receiver or a running back that went over 100 yards in that game. I mean, they are as balanced of an offense as you can get with a running attack of Blunt, Ajayi, and they mix in Corey Clement. Uh, very nicely in that backfield. They have receivers, Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, Nelson Aguilar, uh, who, who can beat you uh, in a number of ways. And they have a tight end in Zach Ertz and a veteran tight end in Brent Suck. I mean, that's a lot for a defense to defend. And that's why the Eagles went 13-3, and three, because defenses cannot match up uh, against that sort of balanced attack. You don't know. If you're Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia and you're looking at a game plan, it's like, okay, we can take away one or two of these guys, but you know who's going to guard Ertz, and you know who's going to take away Tory Smith or, or or Nelson Aguilar in the slot. I mean, there's just so much balance uh, that they come at you with. Whereas you know the Patriots offense, I think you know obviously you have Gronkowski, but is he going to play a full you know a full game? I mean, you know he's had the concussion issues. He's been in concussion protocol this week. I, he'll be fine, I'm sure. But is he going to be able to play the entire game? We don't know. But he's clearly their number one weapon, right? And then you have. Uh, you know, Deion Lewis, who's having a terrific game, they throw the ball a lot to him. He's got, I think, 16 catches in these two games. So, you know, you defend the back out of the backfield, you cover Gronk, and then on the outside you have Amendola uh, and, and, and Cooks. And, you know, the Eagles' secondary is athletic enough, I think, to cover them. Uh, you can't cover them all day, and that's why it's important to get the pass rush. But, you know, they, the Eagles' secondary is athletic enough with Patrick Robinson in the slot uh, with Ronald Darby on the outside that – you know, they can, uh, you know, make life difficult for those receivers. So, uh, and, and one good the thing that the Eagles secondary has been good at is, all year is in, intercepting passes. That secondary has 21 interceptions this year, which is a high number, obviously. And it's, it hasn't been any linebackers. It's been all secondary people that have gotten those interceptions. So, you know, I just think that this, you know, you say, oh, uh, you know, it's not good news the Lions hired Patricia because this defense isn't as good as it's been in the past. But, you know, Patricia's got him here with that defense, which is a feather in his cap. I mean, this isn't the best Patriots defense. I don't think this is the best Patriots team that we've seen in the past, but they do have that mystique uh, of having to play, uh, you know, the Patriots. You know, they win a lot of games against teams just because, hey, they're the New England Patriots. So the Eagles kind of have to put that that uh, mystique aside, which I think they'll be able to do because Chris Long and LeGarrette Blunt both played for them last year. 
uh, and they'll be able to tell these guys, hey, look, they put their pants on one leg at a time just like we do, and we just have to play them for 60 minutes and be the better team on that day. Absolutely. We're talking with Ed Kratz, uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles for USA Today. Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor and all-around uh, hangout good guy. And joining us now is Mo from the BS Sports Show, who is going to help us understand why we should bet on the Philadelphia Eagles. And also, Mo, if you want to join us in Chicago, so here's what's going to happen. Uh, Rick's going to drive to my house. We're going to drive to Chicago. And we're going to go to Chicago and meet up with Ed in his layover. And, and Ed is going to sneak us on the plane and get us to Minneapolis. So if you're on board, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you in Chicago on Tuesday. <laughs> uh, Bo, from the BS hey. Sports Show, uh, uh, how are you, sir? Well, I'm only going if they're greasing the light poles in Minneapolis. That's the only way that I'm going. <laughs> hey, what I what I what I want to know is, Ed, you got to get that guy that was on the dune buggy going up the the rocky steps, and, and I I sent you a text of that, and you're like, I got to see a picture of this. I said, I'll do you one better. I'll send you the video of it, and you're like, Who in yeah. Philadelphia has a dune buggy in downtown Philadelphia? It was hilarious. It was great. You know. <laughs> I know, I know the Philadelphia Eagles got a lot of uh, bad rap on social media, and also uh, because of their treatment toward the Minnesota Viking fans. That's Philadelphia. I mean, let's face it, we weren't shocked. Uh, but I think as a nation, it was just kind of like, whoa, that's kind of like is, they really act like that. So a lot of fans got together and raised money uh, for a charity for the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, so that was uh, pretty cool. Uh, Mo, uh, we want to put a pause button on the Super Bowl conversation. We're going to get back to that in just a minute. But I definitely wanted to get uh, Mo's thoughts and conversation. Unfortunately, it's a very serious conversation. We were talking about Larry Nassar earlier and the fallout from Michigan State University. And and uh, what I mentioned earlier is as as – as sad as it is, we've established a great friendship on the show with Ed, uh, on the show and off the show for that matter. But I first met Ed during Sandusky State scandal and all of that was what was going on there. So we have been there. We have been there, done that before. We are seeing a lot of fallout at Michigan State University with Larry Nasser. And I want to get your thoughts on Larry Nasser, Michigan State University. And a question that was posed earlier by me is, if all of this comes out to be true, we need to boot. Because we're not only are we talking about the MS officials, we're also talking about Tom Izzo. We're talking about uh, Dianato, the uh, football coach. We're talking about a lot of sports within Michigan State University. The difference with that with Penn State being, it was, as we know anyway, as far as we know, it was uh, only the football program, not the rest of the school. Unfortunately, it, they got a black eye as well. Michigan State, talk with us about that. And if all of this comes true, should the Big Ten boot uh, Michigan State University? Go ahead, Mo. Well, I mean, first off, obviously the whole thing is terrible. Uh, the things that have gone on behind the scenes are terrible. And I think one of the things that really irked me was the uh, the statement from the former president of Michigan State University talking about how it was politicized and basically making herself feel like she was a scapegoat when she's allowed a lot of this to go on. But the sad thing I think, Tom, is that this goes on at a lot of places. A lot of uh, student athletes and the big programs, they have their misgivings and their, their wrongdoings covered up. And I don't think Michigan State's the only one where this happens, but now the light's been shown on it because it affected so many more people uh, because of what they let go on with Larry Nasser. Uh, a couple of the people who were kicked off of the Michigan State football team last year uh, for sexual uh, allegations actually are from my area. Uh, you know, and so there's, there's been issues with this Michigan State program for a while. 
I, I think you're clean house at this point. I don't know that you give them the death penalty because, you know, as the NCAA, double, NCAA talked about with Penn State, they, they didn't want to continue to punish uh, future athletes. And, and that's a lot of times what happens, you know, that the, the future athletes are the ones that get punished for the wrongdoings of the past. But I, I think uh, this is, is true that not only does the administration go, that, uh, that Mark D'Antoni goes, that Tom Izzo goes. Uh, I don't know that you, you kick him out of the Big Ten, but I think there's a – uh, a bunch of sweeping changes and, and you know a couple of my friends who are from Michigan have already talked to their state senators and things like that because you know what's going to pay all this off let's be honest is is state money tax money it's uh it's going to pay off if you fire Tom Izzo and and he's got a buyout that you're going to have to pay that's coming from state money same with Mark D'Antoni same with the president of uh, Michigan State who resigned uh, her uh, her one point whatever it is million dollar buyout coming from state money so there's a lot of uh, upset and pissed off people in Michigan uh, as well right now. It's ridiculous that this happened, that it went on this long. And, and it's absolutely, it's just, it's sickening. And I give kudos to ESPN for uh, uncovering and going to the lengths they did to uncover all this behind the scenes stuff with the football program and the basketball program. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're, t- we're talking about what you're referring to is the outside of the lines report that I re- talked about earlier on in, in the show. So we're, we're going to be monitoring this, guys, and we're going to be following this. But we do have a Super Bowl uh, to, to talk about, and this is certainly a much uh, more positive thing to talk about. Um, now, uh, Mo, we're going to let you talk a little bit about Vegas. Uh, what I heard, and I texted all of you guys when I heard this, uh, 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 Clay Travis actually uh, uh, brought it out when I was listening to his podcast. There was a $10 million Vegas bet made on the Philadelphia Eagles. So Vegas is liking the Super Bowl as they always would. That's, I think, a record uh, made on a Super Bowl bet. Uh, what is Vegas doing? You're our resident uh, Vegas expert when it comes to sports. Uh, and by the way, uh, hopefully soon uh, uh, gambling will be legal. Um They'll legalize it with the the return of the XFL, but <laughs> so uh, Mo, uh, the Vegas. Uh, what are they saying about the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots? Well, you know, uh, one thing Philly fans have done though is uh, is screwed us us betters because you know putting these big bets in early is is not raised the line which it should have. The line probably would have gone to seven, maybe nine, and what's happened is because of this as the line has dropped because, of, you know, there's been two $1 million bets and a $10 million bet uh, put on the Super Bowl so far, and, and that's what's really lowered the line. Uh, so if you're an Eagles fan, you're, you're hoping that the Eagles win and want to put some money on them, uh, you know, you might want to wait out of, wait it out now and hope that the line goes back up once Gronk's announced that he plays, and that should give it about a half point there. But these, uh, these, this early money on the Eagles has definitely hurt the line if you were looking to bet the underdog and bet the Eagles. Moa, I'm going to let you uh, start the roundtable again uh, with uh, Ed. Ed is the only one of the three of us that is actually going to the Super Bowl, uh, as he is the uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and USA Today. So, Mo, uh, what question do you have uh, for the crew and, most significantly, the Honorable Ed Kratz? Well, Ed, is there any concern that, that what happened with Case Keenum, where they kind of just – you know, kind of uh, had the the big comeback and, and, and got to the NFC Championship where they, they Vikings came out and played flat. Is there a, a sense maybe that that could happen with the Eagles where whew, we, we, we will run in the NFC, we're going to the Super Bowl. Is there is there a worry that with, uh, with Nick Falls that the offense or that the team comes out flat to start off the Super Bowl? Uh, I would be surprised if that happens. And if that did happen to the Vikings, uh, then shame on them because you're playing – to go to the Super Bowl in your home state, in your home stadium. There, there's no reason why 
the Vikings should have come out flat in that game. None whatsoever. I don't care what happened uh, with that pass, you know, the week before. And I don't think it'll happen with the Eagles. I mean, I think they know what's at stake here. It's 60 minutes to win a championship. That's all it is. It's one game. You play one game, you come out fired up, you come out ready to play. Doug Peterson has done a good job keeping this team focused one game at a time. It's the old cliche, but he's done a good job of that. Not looking too far ahead. Not coming out flat after a win. I mean, the Eagles have won some tough games this year. You know, some big games. They went to Carolina and won that game. And they beat the Rams. And, and there was no sign of a letdown the following week. So, uh, I just think that, you know, to come out flat at this point in the season when there's one game left, you know, I don't think, you know, shame on any team that does that. And, then, and if the Vikings did that, then that's on them. Because, you know, that's not the game to come out flat in when you're playing for it you know, a chance to play in the Super Bowl in your home state. So I don't think it'll happen with the Eagles. I really don't. I'd be surprised if it did, let's put it that way. Rick, uh, go ahead. Uh, what uh, questions do you want to throw at Ed Kratz, who is going to be at said Super Bowl? So right before Mo came on, we were talking about, and you said, I think, Tom, it was you, there's a charity set up because of, for Vikings fans because the Vikings lost and they got trash talked. Is that true? Uh, as far as I know, yeah, there was uh, Eagles that fans donating money to Mike Zimmer's foundation. Um, <laughs> yeah, you could, you know, I mean, look, you know, you know what you're getting with Philly fans. You're getting passion. You're getting, you know, an obnoxiousness to them. Um, but let's, you know, I think there was one arrest maybe for a guy punching a horse, but there were no arrests after that win. Uh, there was no looting or, or you know, cars burning or anything like that. Uh, are you going to heckle the other team's fans? Yeah, I think that happens everywhere. I've been to just about every NFL stadium, maybe, except a handful. And, you know, I see heckling going on all the time when Eagles fans walk in with their jerseys. So, uh, I've seen <laughs> fans. I mean, yeah, it happens. I mean, you know, look, if you're going to be soft and you're going to complain about it, then don't go to the game. <laughs> I, I wish there was a charity set up for me, uh, to me. I'd be a rich man. Every time I got trash talk when the Irish lose, you know, Social media, at work, everywhere I get it when the Irish lose and I get trashed. I wish there was a charity for that. That is so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> they set up a charity for Vikings fans because they lost. My gosh. All right. <laughs> that's all I, I agree. So, Ed. So, Ed, earlier this week, uh, the Ringer's Mike Lombardi uh, went on the Ringer NFL show and called the Eagles a horrendous matchup uh, for the the Patriots. But here's the thing. You guys went out and down, went down to South Florida to Miami and picked up Jay Ajayi uh, that you guys acquired midseason in a trade. He's touched the ball 21 of 30 times in, in, in offensive a snap. I'm sorry, he touched the ball 21 of 30 times in offensive snaps against uh, the Vikings in the NFC Championship game, totally 99 yards uh, from scrimmage. How key is Jay Ajayi uh, to the Eagles? Well, he's a big part of what they do on offense, uh, no doubt. Um, you know, he's, he's taken this running game to a new dimension. Uh, had they not acquired him, you're looking at Wendell Smallwood, who uh, has had some moments, but uh, you know Wendell Smallwood gets hurt a lot, and I just felt like the Eagles couldn't count on him. And when the Jai became available, they went out and got him. So now Wendell Smallwood has been active, uh, inactive for games pretty much since uh, the, the trade happened. Uh, but Jai does bring this team to another level. Uh, he's he's a better pass catcher out of the backfield than Legarrette Blunt. 
Uh, he's not necessarily better than Corey Clement, and that's kind of how the Eagles use Corey Clement is to catch passes out of the backfield. But Ajayi's done that too. He's caught six passes uh, in this postseason uh, out of the backfield. Actually, he's caught six against the Vikings. So, uh, you know, the Eagles are finding ways to use him. And, I, you know, if he wasn't here, I'm not sure the Eagles would be in the Super Bowl because I don't think Corey Clement or uh, Wendell Smallwood would have been healthy. Uh, and he's allowed this running game to really kind of uh, kind of take off. So without him, I don't think they're where they are right now. Mo, uh, talking about the New England Patriots, and we, we were joking a little bit about the matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars, but really in a lot of ways we're, we're seeing a new monster head, if you will, in the AFC South. We're a couple years out from the Colts uh, reappearing, <laughs> resurfacing, you will. Uh, Texans are, are not there. Titans are kind of there. So AFC South kind of belongs to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But talking about the New England Patriots, you know, Patrick Chong is kind of a, an unsung hero with the New England Patriots. Of course, we know Brady and we know Gronk and uh, we know Alan Dudo and we know all these other uh, great uh, New England Patriot players. But Bill Belichick says that uh, Patrick Chung is one of the best safeties in the league. That said, he's going to have his hands full on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, you've got a pretty a pretty stout offense in the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you know, again, this, this New England defense, like Ed said, is not uh, not a New England defense in the past, but Matt Patricia's done a great job, and they've made plays when they've had to. The question is, can the New England defense continue to make plays when they have to? I think the whole key will be the defense of the, the Eagles getting to Tom Brady early and then being able to stay on them. We saw that Jacksonville uh, defense do that, but then they just seemed gassed, uh, you know, towards the end. And so uh, it can, can the Eagles keep pressure on that? And then that in turn, I think, will take, uh, take pressure off the Eagles' offense and, uh, you know, hopefully tire out that New England defense. I, I think it's a great matchup. I'm looking forward to, uh, to the Super Bowl, I think, more than I would any of the other matchups. We're talking with uh, Ed Kratz, a beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, who gets to go up to a uh, very sunny Minneapolis in February. <laughs> and uh, Rick Riggin, uh, Rick Riggin uh, our official college football contributor, and Mo from the BS Sports Show, talking about the Super Bowl, uh, obviously big matchup between the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles. One of the things that we, that we know defensively-wise, uh, Ed, that the Patriots have to do is stop the running game. And New England has set up – was set up to have a four-man committee, if you will. Uh, but because of injuries and ineffectiveness from others, Deion Lewis has emerged as, as a rare Patriots wor- workhorse down the stretch, averaging more than 25 touches over the past four games, including the playoffs. He managed only 66 yards and 16 touches against uh, the, a very, very, and we, I think we all agree, a uh, very, very tough Jaguars defense. But he still had the energy to put the game away with an 18-yard burst at the end. You guys have to figure out a way to stop Deion Lewis. Yeah, and Deion Lewis also had a pretty big fumble last week that Jacksonville couldn't take advantage of. So, you know, the Eagles will try to strip the ball from him. Deion Lewis used to be an Eagle. Uh, you know, he was uh, – so did Danny Amendola used to be an Eagle. Patrick Chung used to be an Eagle. Uh, so, you know, they're no stranger to these guys. Uh, but, yeah, Deion Lewis, you always have to squeeze off the run game, and the Eagles have done that all year. They're the best running defense in the league – you only give up 79 yards a game on the ground. Uh, if Lewis is going to hurt you, it's going to be in the pass game, I think, because I think the Eagles will shut down the run just like they have all season long. Um, they've only allowed one 100-yard rusher, and that came in that meaningless season finale against the Cowboys when uh, Zeke Elliott went for over 100. But, 
Yeah, I don't expect Lewis to do much on the ground, but it's the pass game where you have to defend him, and that could that could cause a problem. Those quick passes, and then get him in the open field and see if he can make a play. But the Eagles are also a very good tackling team, uh, so they're going to have to make sure they get him to the ground uh, and prevent you know him from hurting you kind of in the open field when he takes a pass from Brady. Rick, I want to have the, I reserve this question for you, and I do want to open this that the conversation to the entire. Uh, uh, crew, if you will. But here's the thing. Rick, as, as you know, you're a veteran, I'm a veteran, and you're very involved in uh, with the AMVETS and uh, breaking rank with the AMVETS and uh, very involved in the veterans. I, I saw a story this week that has become a story that never had to become a story, that never needed to be a story, but yet here it is a story. Somebody needs to hire the NFL a consultant to just say, hey, you're making dumbass decisions here. This is where you don't make this decision. Now, for those that don't know, the, the, the Super Bowl runs ads, obviously, but it, they, the NFL reserves the right to say who can and cannot advertise within the Super Bowl contents. I'm, I'm talking about a particular veterans group. One of the largest veterans groups in, in, around, if you will, wanted to run an ad basically just showcasing our soldiers, showcasing our military, and at the end it basically said – just uh, said, please stand, and that was all. That's all it was. The NFL said, no, we don't want that. They created more of a story by saying we don't want that. Now they may have to. Now they may be forced to have to allow that ad. Then the the compromise was okay. Well, let us run the same ad that we've ran in uh, programs, uh, printed programs with the NBA, the NHL. So basically, you go in, you buy the, the program. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure it's a collector's item. If you're at the Super Bowl, you want to buy a program. How many people actually read that? So they were actually even willing to compromise their coverage by saying, okay, we won't do the actual television ad. We'll do the printed ad. The NFL still said no. This is bad, 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 bad. And, you know, as much as we like to joke about the XFL, as much as we like to, to, to poke fun about the XFL coming back, here's the thing. It's things like that that's going to make the XFL successful because it's things like that that turn people away from the NFL. It's things like that that, that the NFL is seeing the lowest viewership and television rating that it has ever had. Thoughts? Yeah, so the grief you are talking about is AMVETS. They wanted to run the ad, and the NFL actually approached AMVETS to run the ad. I didn't know I know it wasn't that ad. I thought it was AMVETS. They just said – I did not know. It. I'm sorry, Ed. I mean, Rick, I, I I did not know it was the Amvets. I thought it was, so I didn't want to mistakenly say that. But go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, Rick. Yeah, it was Amvets. Uh, the NFL approached Amvets to ask if they wanted to run an ad, and when they designed the ad, that's what it was. It was. It looks like it's just it's the Air Force Honor Guard holding the holding the flag and everything. And uh, all, all the ad said was it's a hashtag for Twitter, really hashtag Please Stand, and the NFL denied it. And so you know, like made everybody mad because the whole they're letting their their players kneel and that's okay, but they're trying to not give veterans freedom of speech, you know, by saying please stand. Uh, I don't really see it that way. Uh, I know that's the way it's being interpreted. Uh, I, I just see it the NFL deny the ad because they're just wanting this whole ugly thing with Colin Kaepernick and kneeling and what it's turned into this year with Tennessee, the with Titans and the Steelers not even coming out for the uh, national anthem during one game. This whole ugly thing just to go away. And I know what Amvets is trying to say and, and what they're trying to do, uh, but to have this come out there for a, a Super Bowl program and run that ad, and the NFL is just trying to do away with this whole situation. I can see it 
how both sides are right. Uh, for me personally, the, it hasn't really affected my enjoyment for watching football this year at all. I either just don't watch the pregame ceremony, and honestly, this past mu- month or so, I guess maybe TV stations aren't even showing players, Neil, because I haven't heard or seen a player in the past month, at least now, even take a knee during the anthem. So I think they're trying to do the right things to get this to go away, and that this is why they turned down the ad, I believe. Well, the thing about it is they created more of a story by saying no than what they would have ever – I don't know that anybody would have – even if they would have just allowed the compromise that said, hey, let us run our printed ad then. I don't think anybody would said have said anything. They have created more of a story, of a non-story, than that ever needed to, to happen. Uh, Mo, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, here, here's the thing. The NFL released a statement said that, that the Super Bowl was designed as a celebration uh, for two teams that have come together. It is never designed uh, for a political statement in their ads. Let's look at past Super Bowl ads. Let's look at ads. I'm not saying for or against it. I think everybody knows my that knows me knows my personal uh, thoughts on this. Uh, same-sex marriages, uh, the immigration. Uh, I could go on and on and on. Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Budweiser, all kinds of different people have ran ads with political statement in your windows. Nothing said about it. But because of this, oh, we, we, we don't want any part of that. Mo. Well, I mean, I, I agree with Rick. I think the NFL wants it to go away. And on the one game of the year where you have more uh, eyes that normally maybe aren't on the NFL, the last thing they want is to bring that back up and have discussion about that the next day. So, you know, I, I, I don't agree with it, but I, I see where the NFL is coming from. It's the last thing I think they want during their, uh, their biggest telecast of the year is uh, people talking about, oh, yeah, that's right, people were doing the national anthem. Like Rick said, over the past month, you know, six weeks, we haven't heard anything about it, and I think that's what the NFL wants. Obviously, they, they made a misstep maybe in the way they handled this and, and could have compromised with a print ad, but, uh, you know, if I'm working for the NFL, uh, I would have said the same thing. That's the last, I, don't, I wouldn't want that commercial running with that hashtag on the end and maybe talking about changing it. We know the NFL has had other commercials uh, and other advertisers change their ads before because they weren't, the, they weren't happy with some of the ads, so there, there feels like there could have been a different compromise somewhere else, but... Uh, you know, the, the issue, it seems like, has been swept under the rug for the most part over the last five or six weeks, like uh, Rick said. So, and I think that's where the NFL wants it. Well, I can tell you one thing. My thoughts, and I, it's not, not anything I've not shared on this show before. Here's the thing. Uh, the First Amendment is great. I'm all for that. But you don't have the right to go to work. I, I work at another real job, and uh, I know we all have our jobs on the side. And, and, and uh, Ed, you can't just go into the Eagles' um, uh, press conference, just saying whatever you want to say because you got freedom of speech. Hey, I'm going to say this because I can say this. You can't say things when you're at work. The NFL players are at work. They are wearing an NFL jersey. They are employed by the NFL. You can't just say things. So the NFL can make a rule that says you can't do that. When they make a rule that says you can't do that, you can't do that. This became way more of an issue than it needed to be. And, and the thing about it is, we wouldn't be talking about it now had they handled it differently. Uh, Ed, we'll get your thoughts on this, and we'll get some uh, final thoughts on the Super Bowl. But go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I really can't add anything more than what you know uh, Rick and Mo have said. I mean, I, you know, no one's ever accused the NFL of making great decisions. Um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can see why they did it. They don't want to, you know, bring this back up again. This whole issue—it's uh, kind of been kind of on, you know on the back burner, if on any burner. 
uh, at this point in the last, you know, two months or so. So I can see why they did it. Don't agree with it. Uh, but that's the decision they made. And, uh, you know, we move forward and, and just watch the game, really. So there is a Super Bowl going on. Tom Brady. Oh, oh goodness. You know, uh, uh, Jolly O St. Nick, <laughs> Nick Foles is probably like, this is the time of my life. And let's, let's face it, this is where he goes from being a QB2 to being a QB1 somewhere. Obviously not going to be with the Eagles, and hopefully the Eagles keep him around. But this is a good opportunity for him to, to, to shine. But more importantly, everybody's talking about Tom Brady. Brady averaged 47 pass attempts for a playoff game last year. Uh, this year he's averaged more than 45. The Patriots are comfortable with him dropping back uh, that many times again. As the Eagles, even with their strong front, you guys have a very strong uh, front four, uh, were tied only for 15th in sacks in the season. Brady's go-to guy is that slot wide receiver, uh, Danny Amendola. We saw what damage that, that pair-up could do uh, against the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, so here's the thing. Your front four has to come forward and punch Tom Brady in the face and keep him. You said it earlier. The best way to beat the Patriots is to keep Tom Brady on, on the sidelines. How do you guys do that? Well, again, it comes with uh, controlling the clock with your run game. You have to be able to uh, complete short passes. Uh, screen passes, which they did against Atlanta, and you have to be able to run the football, which they have been able to do. Uh, you know, the Patriots' defense gives up, uh, I think, 115 yards a game on the ground. That's a pretty big number. If the Eagles can hit that, then chances are they're going to control the clock, something they've been great at all year. Uh, and just to touch a little bit, I think what Mo said about Jacksonville's front line looking gas uh, late in that game, I think they lost Calais Campbell, which really hurt them um, to an injury, but they were gassed whereas the Eagles' defense, and Belichick talked about it this week, it's, it's not just a front four, it's like a front eight. Schwartz has rotated his guys in there all season long. They don't really miss a beat when they put some of these guys in, and, and that's kind of what keeps them fresh, and that's what keeps them you know, still coming harder in the fourth quarter than maybe they even do in the first. So I'm not worried about them wearing down. I just think that the way Schwartz has managed that rotation all year long and the way the depth is on that line, that it's not going to be an issue of wearing down. We are going to have our annual Super Bowl special that we have every year. Hopefully, Ed will have some time to call in. It'll be the same time frame, 9 to 11, uh, right here on, on the balance that we do it every, uh, every year. Uh, a couple qu- uh, quick things here, guys, before we wrap it up and put a bow on it, because I know, Ed, and I appreciate you staying with us. You told me you didn't know if you could stay around, so I appreciate you staying with us. But, you know, some of the best and worst matchups, the, I guess if you want to look at the best matchup for the Patriots is Gronk. I mean, he's going to go against Malcolm Jenkins or anyone else for that matter Jenkins is a solid cover man and will do his best to uh use his uh uh six foot 204 pound frame uh to stay with the six six 265 pound Gronk uh but Gronk is uh still open and when covered he'll be a handful for Kendricks uh six foot 240 pounds as well Philadelphia like most New England opponents is not equipped to stop uh to stop Gronk, if you will, uh, they need to focus more on containing him rather than stopping him. Thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, the only one that can stop Gronk is Gronk. Can he play the whole game? I mean, you know, he always seems to get hurt. Uh, and the Eagles contained Julio Jones. Yeah, Julio Jones had over 100 yards for the Falcons in that first-round game, uh, but he didn't score a touchdown. So, I mean, when you talk about containment, what does that look like? Is it 100 yards and no touchdowns? I think the Eagles would take that. If they can keep Gronk out of the end zone, if he gets 100 yards, uh, then so be it. 
Um, I think where the Eagles match up well is in the slot. Real quick, real, real quickly, real quickly, Ed, yeah. real quickly, Ed, I apologize. We're going to lose our live stream here in about 60 seconds. Don't worry, guys. Just go to iTunes or tune in and, and listen to the podcast. And we're not going to have a long uh, uh, balance extra today, uh, but we are going to lose our stream here in about 60 seconds. Go right ahead, Ed. I apologize. Uh, yeah, well, Go ahead. Um, I was just saying that the, the slot position, that's kind of been a, that was an issue with the Eagles with Jenkins in the slot. And, you know, to me, Jenkins hasn't, he's kind of looked like he's lost a step a little bit in these playoffs. Um, you know, maybe I'm just seeing things, but he is getting a little bit older, but the thing with Jenkins in the slot is he's a physical guy. He always had a hard time matching up with the quicker receivers like an Amendola or even a Cole Beasley down in Dallas. Uh, so that's why they brought in Patrick Robinson. They kind of brought him in as, as a gamble, and he's really paid off big time. He's got five interceptions this year, but he is extremely athletic, and that allows him to cover athletic receivers in the slot like an Amendola. So what used to kind of be a liability for the Eagles with Jenkins in there is now uh, a strength with Robinson. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on the matchup against Gronk? Stop him or contain him, or what are your thoughts? Uh, no, no thoughts there, but something I guess we can get into next week. Now, you know, probably not live on this show anymore. You know, it's probably in the extra time now. But uh, I honestly do feel like that this is probably the last time we'll see the Patriots in the Super Bowl for a while. Uh, Belichick's going to lose both his coordinators, Chris to the Lions, and then McDaniels likely to the Colts. Uh, Tom Brady has lived, uh, passes the life expectancy for success. I don't know how much more he has in the gas tank. And then he also, they gave up Jimmy Grapes to the uh, 49ers, which Belichick didn't want to do. And then also in the past few weeks, we've heard how Belichick, Brady, and Kraft are having uh, internal problems, may or may not be uh, going so hot there. I really do feel like this is it for the Patriots. Uh, I don't see even how it's a return trip next year with losing all of that. And Belichick may or may not be retiring after this year. Uh, now the Giants have hired a uh, new head coach. I mean, the Giants are off the table for Belichick. So uh, we'll see. But I do feel like it, this is probably the, the end of the road for the, uh, the Patriots dynasty. You know what? Yeah, that's a valid, valid point. We didn't get into it. And I know we'll talk more about it on the Super Bowl show. We'll certainly talk more about it uh, next week as well. But it's a very, very, very valid point. And even if they win or lose, uh, Mo, don't you think that we are seeing – and maybe we want to rejoice and clap our hands, but uh, let's, let's not rejoice too soon, too quickly. But are we seeing an end to a dynasty with the, with the Patriots? I mean, you know, one would think so with all these changes, but how many times have we thought that in the past? And, and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick continue to, to do that. Uh, you know, you talked about the matchup with Gronk and, and how they have to try to contain him. To me, uh, it's just it, it's almost the same the other way with the Patriots and Zach Ertz. To me, Zach Ertz has been the most consistent and the best tight end in the NFL for a, a long time. And he's dominant, I think, at that position just in, in a much different way. Uh, with the way he gets open and with his speed and, and his sure hand. So, to me, can the Patriots, you know, contain Zach Ertz? That's one thing the Vikings couldn't do last week. Uh, you know, so where Gronk is, is a special type of player and you've got to give him some, you know, some eyes on him, will the Patriots be able to continue to uh, contain Zach Ertz? Because Nick Foles and Zach Ertz, it seems like they have a, a very strong connection and it's been a very uh, a very safe uh, outlet for uh, Foles with Zach Ertz. So I'll be interested to see how the Patriots try to contain him. 
And you know, as as we mentioned, uh, the Patriots' best matchup would be would be Gronk against uh, Malcolm Jacobs. But let's talk about their worst matchups. Uh, uh, Ed, you got Cameron uh, Fleming's uh, versus uh, uh, Brandon Graham and Chris Long. Fleming's uh, should remain the replacement starter for Marcus Cannon over a banged up uh, Waddle after his uh, solid performance against the the Jaguars. Although uh, Fleming uh, will will face. Uh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I lost my notes. I lost my notes. I lost my notes, Ed Kratz. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the matchup between I, – I don't I, – I lost my screen. But anyway, the matchup uh, between Cameron Fleming and Brandon Graham, that was kind of what it, where I was going at. Talk with us about that matchup. Ed, are you with us? Oh, I'm sorry. Here I am. I, 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 Ed? Can you hear me? Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had you on mute. (laughs) Go ahead, buddy. I had myself on mute because I'm in the car now and I'm driving, and I didn't want you to hear the, you know, the beeping when I started the car and all that. So I had you on mute. But uh, but anyway, uh, Brandon Graham and and sacks. I was talking about sacks. The 15 sacks, they're tied for 15th or whatever they are in sacks this year. But sometimes it's not always about getting to the quarterback. It's putting pressure and hurries on the quarterback uh, that affect the game just as much as a sack. So. Uh, Brandon Graham has done that, you know, terrifically this season. He's done that for the last couple of years. And, you know, that Patriots offensive line in general, Fletcher Cox kind of talked about this earlier in the week when he said that, that it's an undersized offensive line. And, uh, you know, they think they can do some things against that line uh, that could create some problems. Um, and especially when you have fresh guys beating on that line all day long uh, for four quarters. So, uh, you know, I think overall he's probably right. It is a little bit undersized. It's athletic, but, uh, you know, I think it can uh, wear down against the constant pressure of that front line, and Brandon Graham's a big part of it. Right. We've been talking with Ed Kratz, official beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles for USA uh, Today, uh, and Rick Riggin and Mo from the BS Sports Show. Uh, guys, let's get some final words of wisdom. I, Ed, I know I think you're headed out to the Eagles complex. I don't know what's going on out there. You guys must yeah. just be hanging out or whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're, we're going to let, let, let you go, yeah. but any – Yes, all right, fantastic. And we're we're uh, excited to see your pictures from uh, the Super Bowl and, and so forth. Uh, but any final words of wisdom for us, sir? Uh, I just, you know, I like this matchup, and I, I like what Mo said about this could be the end of the line for the Patriots. And you know, to me, it almost has kind of like a uh, changing of the guard, so to speak, because I think the Eagles' window now is wide open, and if they can win this Super Bowl, I don't think. It'll be their last trip to the Super Bowl. You know, you look at Brady, he's 40. You look at Carson Wentz, who's 25. You, you know, you mentioned Gronkowski, who injuries have plagued him. Zach Ertz is, you know, the up-and-coming tight end in this league. And, uh, you know, just you, you can kind of go down the list with a couple guys. Fletcher Cox is only 26 years old on that defensive front. And, uh, you know, the Eagles have a, a window now to, you know, challenge for Super Bowls, I think, going forward for the next few years. They have – uh, 20 of their 22 starters are already locked up under contract for next year. Uh, just a tremendous job by the GM, Howie Roseman, to uh, uh, to kind of get this done and open this window up. So it's a great point. This could be the end of the line for the Patriots, but I think for the Eagles it's the beginning uh, of an open window that's going to last for some years now. 
Ed, I know you're headed up to Minneapolis. You're flying out to Minneapolis on Tuesday. I hope you have a safe trip up there. And certainly uh, interested in following your coverage of Media Day and everything that's going on up there uh, in uh, the Super Bowl. Congratulations on the Philadelphia Eagles getting to the Super Bowl. Where can people find your work, your masterpieces, and most importantly, follow you during Super Bowl weekend? Yeah, uh, on Twitter is where you'll be able to see anything I post picture-wise and story-wise, and it's at Kratz, E-K-R-A-C-Z-E. I'll also have it out on Facebook if you want to uh, friend me on Facebook, just Ed Kratz, or you can hit me on Facebook. I post all my stuff on both those uh, social media sites. And, you know, I'll, I'll love to join you guys next Saturday. I'll be going stir-crazy, I'm sure, and looking forward to some friendly conversations by Saturday. So, I don't, I, you that know, the time change stuff always confuses me when I travel. I don't know what you know, what time it'll be, but, you know, you can count on me for next uh, Saturday, absolutely. Fantastic. And I'll make sure I, I, I text you. You have yourself a good day, sir, and we'll talk with you soon. Thanks, See guys. You, See ya. Thanks, Ed. Ed Kratz, uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. A guy has got to be loving his job right now, Rick and Mo. Guys, let's get some final thoughts from you. Uh, Mo, uh, we'll start with you. Uh, final thoughts or words of wisdom, if you will, sir? Well, you know, in a week and a half, one fan base is going to be having a parade and, and enjoying it. And just remember, when you're doing that, that the Cleveland Browns had a parade first. <laughs> I love it. You're absolutely right. Rick, what are your final words of wisdom, and, and, if you will? Yeah, and uh, UCF also won the national title. They also had a parade. And, uh, uh, you know, we talked about the way the Super Bowl and Nick Foles' shoulder. That's why I was going to give the Patriots the edge here. But Ed is – uh, it kind of turned me to the Eagles and seeing how the Eagles dominated the Vikings, and now they had to open up a, a, a charity account for the uh, Vikings fans. They lost so bad and got trash talked. That might be just flipping to the Eagles, but we'll talk about that next Saturday. Absolutely. And, and guys, we have not forgot that the XFL is coming back, but that's kind of a, a back burner, if you will. And at this moment, it might be more of a Bunsen burner than a back burner. Uh, Rick, where can people find your, your work and your masterpieces, sir? Uh, on Twitter at Reagan underscore Rick, and I am uh, getting back into writing uh, for Flipping the Field, and that's flippingthefield.wordpress.com. Uh, see my uh, prior works, but I am starting to uh, come back around and ha- having time to get back into writing, you know. So, sports and some humor, Good. field games, Star Wars. Yeah, there we go. So. <laughs> just, just all around. Just all around. Good stuff. All around. Well, where can people all around. work in your man? <laughs> Everybody, you have yourself a good day. Uh, uh, go yeah, ahead, Mo. Any any Walmart bathroom stall usually, or on Twitter at Mo Radio Show. <laughs> I hear you. All right, guys, that's gonna do it. We gotta wrap it up, put a bowl on it. We're out of here. We'll be back next Saturday, and then of course. We got our Super Bowl special coming up on Sunday, and we kind of got a hodgepodge of guests on Super Bowl Sunday. It's just like anybody can call in that uh, wants to call in, and we've got a lot of guests lined up uh, for Super Bowl Sunday outside of our normal crew. So it's always so much fun. Our the annual uh, balance Super Bowl party. Remember, don't drink and drive, guys. Have a good weekend. I'll see you. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.